This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Rob and I have just been getting a little bit of a preview of what we have in store over the next sort of 20 minutes or so because Jamie Douglas Hamilton is an adventurer. He is amongst Maserati's top 100 disruptive entrepreneurs as well. He's here for Dubai Active this weekend and he's joining us in the studio today. Now, Jamie, in case you haven't heard his name before, is a world record holder for being part of a team that completed the first man-powered crossing of Drake Passage. That was a feat that was made into a documentary in 2020 called The Impossible Row. And in fact, if the trailer is anything to go by, it's definitely something that's worth a watch. The most dangerous ocean crossing in the world is from South America to Antarctica. Colin O'Brady wants to be the first in history to cross the treacherous Drake Passage in a rowboat. All right, boys. A battle to survive Arctic cold temperatures, loose storms, high winds, and 40-foot swells. Not just that, he was also part of a team that rode from Australia to Africa, crossing the Indian Ocean. They broke a number of world records with that. And he's also launched a revolutionary water brand after mixing his drinking water with seawater during an expedition. So we have plenty to discuss. We don't have enough time, unfortunately, with Jamie. But fantastic to have you in the studio, Jamie. It's great to see you. And uh, where to even start with this? Can we start, though, by, by talking to you about the Drake Passage? because I know how infamous the Southern Ocean is. And I've got to ask you, what possessed you to want to (laughs) get in a rowing boat and row across easily the most dangerous, easily the roughest stretch of water on the planet? Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, A lot of inspiration came from Grandad, and he was the first man to fly over Mount Everest. And this was back in 1933, where he opened cockpit biplanes, couldn't even go that high. And he put an extra big propeller on. They trained. They got oxygen into into the cockpit, and they flew over. They got taken down two thousand feet before going over the summit, and they almost went into a tailspin and crashed. But they just cleared it. Twenty years later is what Sir Edmund Hillary used as that footage to then climb up Mount Everest twenty wow. years afterwards, which is now known as a Hillary step. And we didn't realise when we were growing up that not everything has been done. The ocean's that last frontier. And so we've done three rows, um, Australia to Africa, t- to two and a half months, rowing two hours on, two hours off. We got hit by horrendous storms out there. One was a hurricane. And the Drake Passage was seen as it being impossible. The average wind speed down there is a 4.6. Once the wind, <laughs> the waves build up, there is no landmass to stop them. So it's a fully looped current. And once it comes into Drake Passage, that's a body of water between South America and Antarctica. All that energy is compressed between those land masses. And then it goes up the continental shelf and these waves turn into 60 to 80 foot waves. What's even worse is we're going human powered without a sail from north to south. So the, the weather is moving us east in the, worst, in, in, in the hardest, uh, in the hardest, the roughest seas in the world. And the Drake's Passage, I mean, it's known to be the most treacherous stretch of water to traverse. You rode it. The risks, as you mentioned already, a few are endless. You've got 60 to 80 foot swells, as you've mentioned. Whirlpools, I understand, as an issue. Obviously, storms and freezing temperatures, you know, navigating icebergs. What was the most dangerous situation you personally found yourself in during this journey? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's to explain just how how dangerous the Drake Passage is, we decided to do it in the summer. 
and that was to be the best time to do it. Two days before we left, we got to Cape Horn, where more ships have gone down than anywhere else in the world. The Hercules, which is a four-propelled plane that the army used to take tanks and military vehicles to war zones, was flying from Chile to Antarctica. Category 3 hurricane came through the Drake Passage, down that plane, and killed all 38 people on board. So we were then boarded uh, by the Chilean Navy with guns, told to reroute to the nearest port, and said, there's no way you're going to add to this problem. Uh, you're not going to do this row. After all this planning had gone into place, and they said, it's a suicide mission. You're going through the Drake Passage. No one's even attempted this before. Um, we got hit by four storms. So uh, how, did you, how did you get them to change their mind? Did we, you sign we, some waivers? We, we, <laughs> so we, we will not sue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, we convinced them that effectively carbon fibre floats anyway. So it's effectively like a lifeboat. Even if you drew oh, a it's hole... a walk in the park, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, we, we convinced them that, that, that the boat wouldn't sink itself and that we, we were, weren't going to add to their problem. Did you have to convince yourself as well that that was the case? Well, I think the good, the good thing is that when you're slightly naive, it's, it's good to kind of go into these things being an eternal optimist. And as soon as you get back into that boat again, all the memories of how bad it was in the Atlantic, uh, sorry, in, in the Indian Ocean come, 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 came back. How did it compare though? Because Indian Ocean, I mean, we, we've actually spoken to people who've rode the uh, west coast of America to Hawaii, uh, across the Atlantic. These are all formidable rows, not to be dismissed, but this with the water temperature and the roughness of the seas is a different level of challenge. How, how was the experience versus the Indian Ocean row for you? Very different. I would say one day out in the Southern Ocean is equivalent of two weeks in, in the Atlantic or the Indian Ocean. You're fighting for your life in the, in the Southern Ocean for every session you do, and it's 90 minutes on, 90 minutes off. I remember the first, when you see the, the mountains of Cape Horn disappearing, the waves getting bigger and bigger, and the swell takes you, and you realize this is nothing. Now we got hit by a force eight that came straight off the Antarctic ice shelf. So that was a minus 12 wind chill factor. And one of us had to go outside when we went on to Sianca, which we couldn't all fit into the hatches. And you'd absolutely freeze. You'd be completely numb by the time you came back. We had four storms. We got capsized about 90 times. Not luck. We didn't barrel roll, but we were capsized to over 90 degrees. And we managed to come back from that. So you're wet the whole way through. The weight loss is unreal. First three or four days, you can't eat anything. You're dealing with seasickness. <laughs> and then towards sea... <laughs> It got really bad. The worst, to answer your question, the worst point was, was towards the end when we were in a major storm. It was a Force 9. It was just when we were about to get to Antarctica. And we thought we'd done it, and it hit us, and the weather got worse. We couldn't even put the Sianca right, and we were getting capsized as the, the waves are coming through like liquid ice. And I remember I couldn't sleep for two days or two nights before, and I took off my dry suit. Uh, it wasn't really pain. It was kind of my whole leg had gone numb. And I realised what happened is the thread in the back of my boot cut through the neoprene, I then cut through my sock, cut through the skin, the tissue, and was grating on my bone. And I thought I might have to get the foot amputated, oh but just to carry on, it's going to be another two and a half days. And, um, and then luckily, you're completely numb. I remember putting on trainers after that. I couldn't put them in dry suit. Uh, my toes froze, completely froze. And luckily, it was frost nip rather than frostbite. And so it took about three months to recover. So you still have all 10 toes I've, with you? I've still got all 10 okay, toes. Okay, that is good news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it takes, takes a good three months to get over it. And it kind of peaks about two weeks after you come back. And at the time, your fingers are completely white. No blood really gets into there. 
and your your veins start to collapse on each other as as there's no blood. And then as the blood starts to go go back through the veins and they open up, it's the, probably the sorest feeling I've ever had. And I've broken bones before. Oh. I've had extreme chafing before. But this was on another level. And That is. And then you've got to, because you mentioned you had to get on a flight, um, which probably wasn't the best ideal sort of recovery procedure for Frostnip, <laughs> but, you know, needs must, right? Otherwise, you couldn't just stay where you were, I presume. That's right. And it was four flights to get back uh, to UK. And it was so sore. You're counting down the minutes to get off that flight. And it was a 12-hour flight uh, to come back home. And then I had to go to the back of a plane, lie down and put my feet up uh, to try and get the reduced amount of blood going into your feet because your, your, your feet tend to swell when you fly. And the hostess had absolutely no idea what I was doing. thought I was drunk and I was trying to explain <laughs> what happened. <laughs> what was it like um, getting to Antarctica and probably just a curious mixture of realising that you were going to survive, but I would imagine you were in a heck of a state by the time you reached there. Because you mentioned as well that to get to mainland Antarctica is no easy feat. Yeah. So, so I, by the time, in the 12 days of rowing the Drake Passage, I lost almost 20 kgs in, in weight. Um, it was severely landsick, blisters all over my hands and, uh, and my feet. And it was... In the last two days, it was absolutely beautiful because you're going into this beautiful landscape that is so pristine. You get followed by uh, penguins, by whales. You're looking at these peaks um, of, of, these, of these islands that just come out like the, like the top of Him- Himalayan peaks and icebergs the size of towns. I mean, I've never seen somewhere with such huge scale uh, as Antarctica. And as soon as you come back from Antarctica, I wanted to go back. I was going to ask you that because after going through something so physically arduous, I mean, even as I hear you talk about it, it sounds like it was quite traumatic. How do you process what you've been through after the fact? Because, you know, as you said, it was just unbelievably dangerous, unbelievably painful to go through. And yet you want to do it again? That's right. Well, a lot, a lot of adventurers actually get depression when they come back uh, because it's an anticlimax. They put so much effort into it. And then once they've done it, it's done and they, they don't have something else to go into. Uh, luckily, I had, I found a, an alkaline water company called Active, so I had something to go back into. Mm. Uh, but if you're one-dimensional, that's when you tend to have depression. That's why they get trapped into getting the bug and they can't do anything else. They have to carry on doing adventures. Yeah, because the highs and lows are so extreme, I would imagine. that Obviously, whenever you have a high of that, that level where you've literally diced with your own life, your, the come down would be you know, it would be equal in terms of the experience you would have. Absolutely. And, and that's what a lot of them experience. But if you've got something else to do and you, you're busy, you know, which, which luckily I was at the time, I was all right. And, and well, then... Tell us about this. We've got it. Sonal and I have the, the bottle in front of us. You, you've brought... Bring, very, thank you very much for, for bringing one in for us. Active, which is alkaline ionised water. There's a story behind this. It's not just something you dreamed up in a, in a boardroom, is it, Jamie? No, this is... So I was never in the water industry at all. This was from rowing across the southern Indian Ocean. And we, after two weeks, we felt like we couldn't go on. You're rowing two hours on, two hours off. Um, we were burning 10,000 calories a day. Uh, it was pretty extreme weather at that time. Uh, and after two weeks, we felt like we couldn't go on. And we were drinking all water through a desalinator. And pure water isn't good for you, contrary to, to, to people's beliefs. And so we started mixing seawater with our desalinated water. 
and that brought our bodies back into balance. Which is so interesting because it's contrary to what most people perhaps think of. You think seawater, salt, you're not supposed to have it under any circumstances. It's going to dehydrate you. But I guess when you create that mix, why is that different? So your kidneys can break down 3.5% salt in solution. Uh, Sorry, seawater is 3.5% salt in solution. Your kidneys can only break down 2% salt in solution. We probably had diluted it down to under 1%. So for us, when you're sweating a lot, it's ideal for exercise. Wow. And even though we ended up, as soon as we mixed seawater for every second bottle, our speed went up 15 to 20 miles per day. We ended up breaking the Guinness World Record for the longest row ever in ocean and the fastest row. And that's all because of hydration. Was this science, um, was this something you discovered or was this knowledge within the science community that you stumbled upon? This is something we discovered. No one, I don't think, has ever said, has ever advised to dilute seawater down. And whilst our brand Active isn't seawater, it's actually alkaline ionised water. It was, What's it the was, difference? So I've, I came back and I was fascinated by, by how to create something that kind of can enhance hydration. And alkaline ionised water is, is water which has been ionised to a very high pH. The higher the pH, the faster it gets into your blood, the faster it gets absorbed into your cells. And it stops things like reflux to build up pepsin and acts in that anti-inflammatory. And tell us a little bit about the journey that inspired this water, because you did, as you referenced, make a landmark journey across the Indian Ocean from Australia to Africa. It took 57 days to do this, an incredibly long row. I can't even imagine after almost two months of, of consistently rowing, did you feel like you were going to go mad by the, the very end? I think we were mad by the end. And uh, <laughs> by, by saying that in all, all seriousness, we were starting to hallucinate. I remember yeah. one, one time I couldn't, I didn't know the difference between what was real and what wasn't. And first you start hearing a Nokia phone being, you know, r- ring out all the time, then dogs barking. And then it goes into visual hallucinations when you get really tired. So I imagine the person in front of me was walking up and down a stepladder, changing a light bulb until I was shouting at him, why are you changing a light bulb? What are you doing? And I imagine he was in a laboratory doing this. We were in a storm. Waves are coming over the boat. I couldn't even feel them. My mind had sewn out. So visually, I was seeing, with my eyes open, was seeing something that wasn't even real. That's, I mean, that's insane. And, and how do you, at some point, when you realize you're going through that and you're not even in reality anymore, do you not want to tap out at that point? How do you stay in the game? You're not really thinking on a conscious mind. And it gets very dangerous. Uh, one of the strokes actually got up, pulled his oars in and during this hallucinating process and he saw a hand coming out of the ocean and he went over to try and shake the hand and he almost fell in during that process. Wow. So it, it does get dangerous once, once you get into that kind of exhaustion. Uh, and in terms of some of the sights that you saw along the way in that particular row, wildlife and, and just being out there for such a long period of time, what are the memories that stick out? The, the, the biggest one was actually being hit by a blue whale and I think there's only about 2,000 blue whales um, uh, around um, in the oceans. And so to hit one was <laughs> unbelievably... <laughs> They're quite big. They're big targets. <laughs> we were, yeah, we were on the back of a blue whale for probably 10 seconds. You were on the uh-huh. back of a blue whale? It hit us, lifted our entire boat up. I can't believe it didn't break it. And it went up and up and up and up and up and up and until it went. And we just couldn't. It was the scariest thing. And it, it came but out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I had no idea we were, we were there. Why would it? You know, we're tiny. Uh, just a rowing boat in the middle of an ocean. And I wonder whether it even registered your presence. I mean, obviously it probably felt something, but they're so massive that... 
Yeah. They're, two, they're 200 tons, aren't they, blue whales? They're, the big, they're bigger than any dinosaur that's ever lived. Wow. Jamie, we could keep you in for the full two hours. I wish we could, but this is all we have time for. You're here for Dubai Active, of course. It's part of the Middle East's largest fitness and wellness expo. So, of course, if you do want to meet Jamie, you can get down there. There are tickets at DubaiActiveShow.com. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing some of your stories with us. Maybe at some point in the future, we can get you back in so we can finish, you know, the other parts of the stories. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much, Jamie. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.